Welcome back to the Photo Banter Podcast. Before we get into the Bob Corn interview, I want to tell you about a new image transfer tool I've been using lately called PicDrop. PicDrop's a really great tool for whenever you need to send off your files to your clients or whoever you're working with. You can create private galleries, different folders for whatever various assignments you have, and your clients can actually write notes on the photos you sent to them and rate them. It's just a really easy way to organize your stuff in one spot when you need to send it off. Um, for years, I was using like Dropbox and WeTransfer and things like that. But with PicDrop, it was actually designed by photographers, so they really understand what photographers need. And actually, with today's podcast, if you enter the promo code photo banter when you sign up at pickdrop.com you're going to get three months free of the pickdrop image transfer tool so um, so definitely go check it out and let me know what you guys think and remember to enter the promo code photo banter when you sign up at pickdrop.com without further ado we'll get into the bob corn interview welcome back to the photo banter podcast i'm your host alex gagne and on today's episode i speak with professional printmaker bob corn owner of bob corn imaging Bob has spent over 40 years working as a professional printmaker. Um, some of his work has been exhibited in the Getty Museum, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the National Gallery of Art, the Smithsonian, as well as working with uh, renowned photographers such as Gregory Heisler, Richard Avedon, Mark Hauser, and Joe Meyerwitz, to name a few. In this interview, I speak to Bob about how he got into photography, um, becoming a professional printer um what advice he gives to people on how to print better images and uh so much more um bob's been in this business for a long time and has a wealth of knowledge and experience so i was really interested to kind of get the perspective of a professional printmaker um so i hope you guys enjoy it and thanks so much for listening one two three all right bob corn we're here. How you doing, man? I'm doing really well. I was excited to have you on my podcast. I've known you for almost, I think, like 10 years now. I think it's actually longer. Yeah, and <laughs> I realized there's a lot of stuff I don't know about you, so I was really excited to kind of pick your brain, kind of see how you kind of got into all this, you know? So thank you so much. Well, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I guess to start off, I was kind of curious, like, where do you grow up and like, what kind of stuff were you interested in growing up, I guess? Well, as a kid, I grew up in Buffalo, New York. I uh, got involved in photography, I think I was about 11 years old. I was a kid that unfortunately had a lot of knee issues, so athletically I wasn't able to participate. Took a class in junior high school, if it was, I think it was seventh grade, and uh, one section of it was the darkroom. Okay. and photography and it was like wow this is really cool and uh so that's kind of when i started so you were taking pictures yourself early on oh yeah early on i still take pictures not you know when i when we're in places or when the mood strikes uh i take them i don't show it very often uh but yeah i still take pictures yeah i remember you did a couple of years back or maybe you still do it whenever you go to like a different ballpark you'll do like a cool panorama thing i think you you've probably shot a bunch of different like mlb ballparks that's something you still kind of do when you get the chance yeah when we get the chance i do that uh but basically now i have this thing about just real simple line mm. and do a lot of that and then also i'm just fascinated with the design and shape of urinals Oh, so interesting. I, yeah, I have a whole bathroom series that I've been working on, and so it's kind of fun. That's the interesting thing about photography is, like, you can make the most, like, mundane thing interesting. Like, like oh. it could be urinals, bedpans, ice cream cones, whatever. It's kind of like putting your own touch on it, huh? Yeah, and that's the whole thing, and I've always told uh, students when I teach, you don't have to go somewhere to make images. No. If you feel you have to go to a beautiful place or someplace different, you don't have the skill set or the eye to, to really do it. Yeah. Photograph in your backyard. Shit, honestly, like, I agree. Like, you could literally, it's almost a better challenge that way. Like, make an interesting photo from your couch. It's just like, you could literally do it. This is, you got to find an interesting, like, perspective or something. It's just like, uh, it, yeah, I, I totally agree with that, you know? Yeah, I always give assignments of photograph in your kitchen. Yeah. Photograph, as you say, in your bedroom. Yeah wherever you actually live because that's what you should be able to see yeah i had an assignment when i was in photo school that i always remember that it was like early on like freshman photo they're like go photograph the color blue and it was like 
it seemed like this really odd, but is this like it actually was a challenge to just like find unique things with blue? There's so many things, but yeah. It, oh yeah. It's like color uh, theory, I guess. Um, but I guess when you kind of first picked up the camera, what kind of stuff were you photographing? What what kind of you think drew you to it? You think what was kind of the initial spark for you? Uh, I think it was just it was so you know nineteen. Wow. Uh, wow. It, uh, <laughs> trying to figure it out. If I was 11, I'm 63 now. So yeah. 52 years ago was whatever it is. Yeah. I can't do that math that quickly in my head. Yeah. It was just, there weren't a lot of, wasn't a lot of photography. Weren't, wasn't a lot of people, weren't a lot of people doing photography. Nobody that I knew. And it was just fascinating mm-hmm. to me. And you know, as a kid, you take the pictures of the family, and uh, I loved music, so got heavily involved in concert photography, Yeah, and so that was great, and then I ended up going to photography school. Okay, uh, where'd you end up going? End up going to the New England School of Photography. Rest, uh, rest in peace after that. I think next year's their last year. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. Pretty, pretty sad. When you went to it, was it right down in Kenmore? Or? Yeah, it was in Kenmore Square. I think it was, well, I was started there in 74. Okay. So it was pretty new. I think it had only been in Kenmore Square two or three years mm. uh, then. And it was a great place. It was a lot of energy, a lot of excitement. And I went, I was all set as a kid. I was going to be a lawyer. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And That's why you, you, when did you start thinking that? I probably in my late teens. I don't know. It's just kind of what you did. Was there like uh, lawyers in your family? Uh, no, not. Well, I had an uncle who was a lawyer, but it was, you know, family was always in business and yeah. there was a big family business. And so that's just kind of the direction you go in. Yeah. And went through high school and got into a school that had a really good business pre-law program and also had an art department. Went down to check it out and came back and was like, yeah, this ain't happening. That's not what I want to do. Yeah. And I remember sitting with my parents and they said, so what are you going to do? I said, well, yeah, I don't think I'm going to live home. And they go, well, you're going to travel? I said, well, I don't know. And they go, well, we're not going to pay for it. Mm you know, you're going to get a job. And I said, well, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. And they actually brought up the idea of getting involved and going to school for my photography. Cause I had been really involved with it. Like I said, ever since I was 11 years old. So it was great. They were incredibly supportive and encouraged it. And growing up in Buffalo, New York, RIT was the place to go. But for me, the whole thing was the academic part. I just wasn't ready, didn't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So Straight that was, yeah, that was out of the question. So just, you know, looked around and came up to Boston for an interview at the Art Institute. Okay. And we got there, my dad and I, we came in from Buffalo, got there and nobody was there. <laughs> We'd made an appointment and there was not a single soul in the photography department there. Well, it was, Dad wasn't real happy He's with like, the fact, yeah. you know, that we spent this money, time to come, and there's nobody there. Yeah. And when we were pulling in, because at that point it was on Beacon Street, right outside of Kenmore Square, and when we're sitting in Kenmore Square, look up and see the New England School of Photography. Yeah. And the people at the Art Institute said, you know, we'll try and find somebody to come in and talk to you. Why don't you just go down to lunch and. They said, you know, there's a great Greek restaurant yeah. in Kenmore Square, the Aegean Fair, which happened to be underneath the New England yeah, School yeah. of Photography. So went there, walked into the New England, you know, walked into Nisop, was greeted. People were incredibly friendly, incredibly great. And they said, oh, yeah, we're getting ready for our end of the year show. We're putting it up. Yeah. Let's give you a tour. And it was just great. Yeah, it was yeah. such an amazing place. Like, I, I didn't go to school there, but I used to rent darkroom space there, and I took like some of their like classes they offered to like this whoever, and it was just like such a small community because it was just like two floors, I think, and it was like the class size. If you went to school there, I think it was like max was like fifty people or something. So it was like a real like community. Um, how was your experience? Like when you got to Nisop, like 
what did you think you were going to do? Like, did you think you were going to be like a fine art photographer? Was printing even something on your mind? Like, The darkroom was not on my mind. I thought I'd be, I didn't know what I thought I'd be. I just, it was still going there. First day of class, teacher, this woman, Olive Pierce, who was phenomenal, asked two questions. Well, two comments. First one was she asked everybody why they were there got to me and I said, you know, I'm just kind of waiting because I think I'm going to go be a lawyer. And it was like, (laughs) okay, everybody kind of looked at that. And then the other question was, if you want to learn all the whys behind what you're doing, you can go right next door and get involved with George DeWolf. George DeWolf, who is recently came from RIT and most people, or the people that know George, you know, he's incredibly active, brilliant guy, really technical guy. And Olive said, if you just want to learn how to use this stuff and really don't care about the why, yep. stay here. And that was perfect, yeah. you know, for me. So, uh, and again, back then, it was just, you were exposed to everything. Mm four by five it was just all black and white in the beginning and the concept was especially from olive you learn one thing you learn it well and you master it yeah and so it was triax that was it you know you just did everything the same everything consistently basically your whole first year yeah and then your second year there were more of the creative uh, kind of classes. There were more fine art classes. There were commercial studio classes. There was the color program. Mm-hmm. And I was the sort of kid back then, and even still now, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it from start to finish. Yep. So I became really fascinated, especially with the color darker. Mm-hmm. And sitting in there, closing the door, having, excuse me, 90 five degree water running in a tray with this stainless steel canoe that you would pour your chemicals in, rock it back and forth, dump it out. And it was like a sauna, yeah. but it was great. Yeah. And seeing that image and then being able to look at it and then learn how to bring it to life was, I just really fell in love with it. Um, like, were you, have you always been someone that was like very technical? Cause like being a printer yourself, like you have, you're very, I would say you're a technical person. Cause like the skill and the attention to detail you put into printing, like uh, I've been, we're sitting here in your gallery slash studio, which for years you had darkroom here, you had a color processor and you, you, you really know technique. Was that something you always were good at or it kind of took you a while to kind of chop away at? Well, I don't believe I'm a technical guy. All right. I hate technology. <laughs> it's frustrating as can be. This just this morning, internet wasn't working correctly. <laughs> Couldn't connect to Adobe. Yep. Couldn't work. Had to go through and get it working. So it's a sort of thing. I'm technical for what I need to be technical for. Mm-hmm. Only because I have to survive with it. Yep. In terms of software, software is just a tool yep. for me. Yep. When I first started with Photoshop, when it first came out, nobody knew how to use it to make a print. People that had come to it mainly came to it because of the technology. They, those guys really loved the technology. Yep. I was, oh, geez, I have a new tool. Yeah. I have to learn this tool. So I went through the tools and said, okay, how does this relate to the darkroom? Yep. How does it relate to exposure and color dodging and burning? Yeah. So you didn't, sh- you, you didn't shy away from Photoshop when it came out. When it came out, you, you kind of jumped into it pretty quick and tried to like learn it? Yeah, because I felt I had to. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad I did because yeah. uh, it's just the way things have fallen mm-hmm. for a long time. And on some level, I still tell people and feel that I'm the guy on the assembly line that got replaced with technology. So I had to relearn. It was a new skill that I had to relearn. Mm-hmm. There was no place to go. And it was just learning it on my own, trying and things and just looking. It's like, well, how do I adjust the color? Yep. How can I do things in the refined way 
that I always did in the darkroom. Yeah. So that was just trial and error. And uh, I found a system that works really, really well for me. Mm-hmm. doesn't work for everybody, yeah. but I do a lot of teaching. And when people step away and don't think about the technology and what they can do mm-hmm. instead of what they need to do and just break it down and go one step at a time, they get it and yeah. they see the simplicity of it. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's truly not complicated if you take away all the technology. If it's like, I need to do this, <laughs> I end? need to accomplish what's, yeah, this. Yeah, what's your end point and how do you get there? Exactly. And if people come to me and they work in exclusively in Lightroom or whatever it is, it's like, fine. Yeah. But if we look at it and I tell you your highlights are too hot, well, go fix it. Yeah. And if you can't, then it's like, okay, you need to learn a yeah. different way to do it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I guess when you're at Nisop, like when you kind of left Nisop, what, what was kind of your next step? Like how did you kind of, did you just kind of jump into the photo industry right away or were you doing other stuff? Or? Yeah, well, I left uh, Nisop and I was hired as a studio assistant, a commercial assistant, because at that point, being at Nisop, I thought, well, yeah. I'll become an advertising guy, mm-hmm. a studio guy. So got a job with a photographer in Boston, was his assistant for a while, or I should more say like his servant, uh, <laughs> weren't treated very well. And uh, I don't need to go into those stories, yeah. but let's just say it wasn't a great situation. Yeah. Really wasn't very happy. And actually, when I was a student at NISOP, I became an assistant in for the first you know couple first year classes was very involved in the color program so i got a call and they said we need somebody you want to come back oh, wow. and be involved in teaching and i jumped on it wow and so in 1977 i think it was i started teaching and working full-time at nisop And it wasn't until, I think, the second year that I was there that there was actually a student younger than myself that I was teaching. Because at that point, I was 19 years old. What what were you mostly teaching this time? It was color. Color, color. Just color. Working with color printing, uh, ran and designed and set up uh, their color lab. Because at one point, Nisop had a full-service color lab for processing originally e3 then went to e6 mm. and then to c41 processing for all the students offering that and so that's kind of what i took over and taught it was part of the tech color program as yeah. they called it what what is it about the teaching you like because i know you still do it now i think you what, what is i know do you do main workshops before and yeah, you did I've, some been other, in, yeah. I've been at santa fe i've yeah. been at maine uh you know a few you know over the years and to me i just love teaching yeah. you know i love sharing mm-hmm. my knowledge i really enjoy the look and the feeling that a student has when all of a sudden that light bulb goes off and they understand what i'm talking about and then they can see it for themselves and see the huge growth and the real difference because the biggest problem that I have had and that I feel is the print basically has become secondary. People don't even think about it. Or people say, oh, I'll buy a printer, I'll buy the software. The marketing of the whole home digital printing or digital printing in general is you buy this, this, and this, and mm-hmm. you push the button. Yep. So that's what people do. They get really intrigued with the technology of the software, and they make these prints that truly are horrible. The contrast, the colors, they get involved in things that they bring it to me, and they go, what do you think? And I go, well, when did the bomb go off? Because there's no such colors, or they come in and the portrait, the person is blue. It looks like they just were pulled out, you know, of the freezer at the morgue. Yep. The response generally, people go, well, my mother loves it. Uh, my yeah. aunt <laughs> loves it. And they think it's great. And it's getting slowly better. I think people, the cycle is coming around. 
where people are understanding that now a print is important because mm-hmm. before digital, I've been a you know a lab. I've had my lab business for forty years now. Yeah, I was an integral part, a very integral part of that whole process. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I say and truly believe in is that a photograph isn't a photograph until it's a print. Yeah. I was the color guy. Somebody would shoot color film, send it to me to do the second step of the process. And then the third step of the process was to make the print so you could actually see the photograph. So that was always an integral part. Again, digital. Oh, we'll look at it on our computer screen. We'll look at it on the TV. We'll look at it on our iPad, on our phone. So what do I need a print for? Mm -hmm. And that really changed everything, changed my world dramatically. But I always hung in there and preached. Somebody said to me, you know, you're a print evangelist, that the importance of seeing this on paper, because you connect, Mm -hmm. you hold it. You can become involved with this image that you're looking at. When it's on a screen, you can't connect to it. You can't touch it. It's like it quick. It's quick. Like I think I always remember about like uh, printing color. Like I went like different labs I might have rented from, like Nisop and whatever it might be. Is that you, if you're printing color, you go to that little like light box thing, and there's the filters you put in front of it to check your color. And it was more of like it was more of a community because there'd be other photographers there. You kind of you actually take a step back. Whereas like photography nowadays, it's like everything's just like fast paced, even like everything's we need it now, we need it now. So it's like, I agree. I think you, you feel like you just learn more when you take a step back, really look at your work. And that's how you kind of progress pretty much. Yeah. And when I teach, it's that whole process of you have to slow down and look. Mm. Some people that I've taught with have said, the biggest thing that I teach is I teach people to look. Yeah. Because it's all about looking and slowing down. Again, in my workshops, you work on one image at a time. You take it through the steps until it's completed. Mm -hmm. If somebody comes to me with three or four different images to look at, I don't look at them. It's one at a time. Because you have to slow down and really look. Because photography... And the print, photography, the definition is light exposing a light-sensitive material. Mm-hmm. It's just, again, different tool. And then photography captures reality, captures a moment in time. So when you look at that image, even if you're looking at it on a screen, you have to slow down and look at it and say, is this what I saw? Mm-hmm. Is this what I feel? Is this accurate people say well i'm creative i want to do this it's like great fine but if you can't be based in reality with it to me you can't then move forward and be creative if you want to but i still believe in the photograph is that moment in time the print represents that moment in time in the best way And when a print is finished, there's no barrier between you and the image. You feel like if you're, if it's an image of somebody walking or from the back, that you're right there. If it's a landscape, that if you take a step, you're falling off the cliff or you're walking into the ocean. And that all comes about from the reality of it and understanding the light, understanding what light does. And just again, looking. Technique's important. And I think this, like, because like you say, like, you can get real sloppy with digital. And it's like, at least for me, I think coming from, uh, I don't print in the darkroom really much anymore. It's been a few years, but it's like, it's such a slower process. It's like, you can get real sloppy. But with like inkjet nowadays, we kind of touched on it. Like, obviously, you can go to Best Buy and buy a $1,200 Epson can you, do you feel like can you can you you can make good prints with that printer it's just a matter of knowing how to how to get to that end point as i tell people all the time it has nothing to do with the equipment yep doesn't have anything to do with the paper 
nothing with the computer, nothing with the software. Mm. It has to do with the person that is using that and actually can look at a print and see it and understand what needs to be done and then how to do it and do it simply and accurately. Mm -hmm. First thing whenever I give a talk and I bring out my prints, almost nine times out of 10, if not 10 out of 10, first question is, wow, what paper did you print on? (laughs) And when I tell them... I asked that question last week, so I'm guilty too. (laughs) Yeah, it's like... The one of the least expensive papers you can buy. It's a stunning paper when you know how to put the ink on it, yeah, in yeah. a sense. You know, paper doesn't make the reproduction. I give the digital imaging field, you know, and companies a ton of credit. Their marketing has been remarkable. Yep. And it's like, do this, do this, buy this, buy this. You're done. You're great. No. <laughs> and, you know, when you mentioned the thing about slowing down, yeah, I remember as a student shooting four by five film. You'd go out, you'd load up your film holders, yeah, maybe five, yep. If you were lucky, fifteen. It's thirty shots if you have fifteen holders. Maybe shoot a Polaroid. <laughs> maybe, but even back then, yeah. you weren't. You know, Polaroid was used in the studio. True. Not so much out in the field. So you go out, set it up, look back and forth, exposure, light, looking at the situation, the scene that you're in. Shoot. If you were lucky in a full eight-hour day, let's say, of shooting, to maybe make four images, you were doing well. Yeah. Then you had to go and you had to process it. Yeah. That was a couple hours. (laughs) Then it had to dry. Well, okay, now we're overnight. Then you get to go the next day, check your negatives, and then you have to make contact prints. So you're 24 hours before you see what you did. Now it's like instant. And so this whole idea of slowing down and looking and understanding, not just pushing the shutter down and hoping. That's one of the things that... I've always found that's frustrating for me with students, with photographers, with this technology is that, well, it doesn't matter because I'll go back and fix it. Mm-hmm. This whole idea about fixing it because technology can fix it. Well, if it's not good to begin with, yeah. no matter how much technology you have, you can make it better, but it's not going to be as good as if you slowed down and did what you were supposed to do yeah. visually and technically. Yeah. And when did like printing kind of take over for you? Like you said, you've had your studio here where you offer printing services and you've worked with a lot of big photographers, everyone from like Joel Meyerwitz, Gregory Heisler, I'm looking at an Avedon print over here. Uh, when did that kind of start for you? Was it like a goal for you to like start your own business eventually? Or when did it all kind of come together when you're just kind of printing and working with different clients, I guess? Well, it actually, I never thought I'd have my own business, but when I left teaching, I was hired by a guy to help him run his color lab. All right. And so I was doing that, and then it's like, okay, I'm in this profession. I'm doing it. This is what you got to do. You're doing this because I need you to do this. So it's like, sure, okay, why not? Yeah. You know, I'll open up at my own color lab. Yeah. And uh, so that's really kind of how it started. And at that point, my wife and I were trying to figure out, well, okay, we had, at that point, we were living in Rockport, Mass. All right. Because of my time teaching and working in Boston, I had a lot of connections. So I was like, all righty, want to be hour, hour and a half from the Boston area. It's not a bad way to get in and out of town, especially in 1980. Yeah. You know, in the yeah, 90s, yeah. traffic wasn't so bad. So, all righty, I'll do that. Hour and a half kind of circle. My wife grew up summers on Cape Cod. Yeah. This is where she wanted to come. I thought Portland, Maine could be pretty cool. Yeah. And it was like, again, back then, Portland, Maine is not what Portland, Maine is now. Yeah. And so we came to the Cape. Yeah. And came to Orleans because at that point, besides Hy- Hyannis, it was the real big 
year-round, you know, yeah, town. Yeah. But still, year-round then was maybe May to October. Yeah. Not year-round. And so we settled here, and it's been a great quality of life, which is amazing. Have you always been in the same studio for 40 years? Uh, yeah, I was actually across the hall for wow. two years Damn. and then moved over here. And uh, yeah, so same location. So I don't do change well. <laughs> hey, man, you switched it up a couple of years ago. You got a gallery now, so you, you made a big switch. But um, when you kind of first got down here, you opened up, like, who are you working with? Was it like this mostly like commercial photographers? How are you kind of finding clients? How did that all kind of? Well, when I first opened the thing that I did, you know, coming to Cape Cod and opening up a color lab. Well, well, okay, we'll see what kind of local business there is. But I actually reached out to Joel Meyerowitz wow. at that point. Never heard of him. <laughs> yeah, and at that point, Cape Light was a huge success, and yeah. it was there. You know, color was there. And I thought, Cape Cod, the light, why not call the business Cape Light? Okay. Which is what I did. But the book Cape Light was out, did the research, you can't copyright a title. Yep. So I could use it as a business name. Called him up to talk to him, ask him his permission. He went through the thing that, you know, well, it's copyrighted. I said, well, I don't even know if I called him Mr. Meyerowitz or Joel back then. And you had never met him at this point? Never met him. Yeah. And called him up and I said, well, I can use the name because it's the title of the book, but everything within the book is copyrighted, the imagery, the text. Yeah. And we were talking and I told him what my plans were because at that point I really wanted to be, and even to this day, a high-end printing lamp. Yeah. High-end for artists, high-end artists, Commercial. photographers, that whole bit. But also for people, I tell people, if you took the picture on your iPhone of the dog at sunset and you want to print, I do that too. Yeah. It's this idea of the print and the print done correctly. Yes, people think, oh, Bob only works for, you know, the best of the best. Yeah. His work is in the Smithsonian, in the Getty, in the yeah. Met, you know, and things like that. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, I've been lucky. I've been fortunate. But I'll make any Whatever. print you want. Yeah. I think, don't you do stuff for like hotels and stuff too? I think, like, yeah, yeah, I've done some things for that. Yeah. I do a lot of art reproduction, yeah. you know, for artists now and because of the technology. So it has allowed me to do things, but it still all comes back to quality, the quality in the print. But getting back to Joel, you know, I said, I'm going to be here. That's my idea. You know, he asked me what I was planning to do. And he said, well, I'll be there in July. Mm. Gave me his address, went and met him. And he gave me a box of film to process. And we worked together for 25 years. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Like, yeah, what was your experience working with a guy like that who's, like, so well-known and has accomplished a lot? Like, what do you take away from working with a guy like that, I guess? Well, took away a lot. Yeah. You know, I was a young kid looking up to somebody like that. It was, I learned from him. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we can pause real quick. Yeah. All right, back. We had to take a little pause, but we were kind of talking about um, your experience working with Joe Meyerwitz, Meyerwitz and like a lot of other big time photographers. Like I said, like, what do you kind of take away from working with a guy like that who's like so established and like has accomplished a lot, you think? Well, it helped me understand. Joel did teach me hmm. to slow down and really look, especially looking at light and especially here on the Cape because it's so special but light is light you can get a feel for it for anywhere an image is photographed mm -hmm. it's all about light understanding light and shadow intensity of light color of light is very very important and also that idea of being there mm -hmm. being a part of that image that print versus looking at that print so he taught me again to slow down and really look and then try and formulate a plan of how you're going to attack it 
back in the day in the traditional wet darkroom with color, you had time, you had color filters in the enlarger, you had an aperture on your lens, and then you had your hands. That was it. Yep. There was none of this selective this or that. You know, you learned how to color burn if there was a problem with the negative and all this stuff. So you had to look at an image. And even to this day, and when I teach, you look at the overall. Because if you can't see the whole picture, you can't make that finished piece. And especially now, because there are so many other controls, it still doesn't matter. Because when it's overall correct, everything just falls right in, and very little selective work has to be done. Yeah. And when you're working with like an artist, photographer, whatever it may be, obviously the artist has their creative vision. You're a creative person yourself. Like, how do you navigate navigate that relationship? Because one person might have one idea, one might have another. Like, how do you navigate that, I guess? Somewhat delicately to begin with, with a new client, I believe it's a collaboration. And it has to be a collaboration. If somebody's coming to me, they're coming to me because they respect what I do. Mm-hmm. When I have customers who come in and tell me this is what it has to be, then I say, well, okay, you can go to CVS, you can go to Staples and just have them push the button. Yeah. I bring something with my experience and my skill set to that finished piece, to the print yeah. for them. I understand and I have a very good understanding of what they are hoping for and looking for in their vision because we talk and we communicate. I send proofs to everybody and anybody. You know, if we're working long distance, if I'm, when I'm doing a show, last year I had a David Burnett show, send him proofs. Mm. And he talked and there was like, well, maybe this one and that one, I'd like to see this way. So we look at it, we discuss it and come up with the solution so it's still that print but also with his vision yeah same thing with all the photographers i work with the exhibitions that we show in the gallery it's that real collaboration yeah it's a photographer's image in their vision i take their vision my skill set and reproduce that on paper yeah And because so many photographers, especially in the digital age, truly haven't seen that, it's something that I find very rewarding is people come in here, especially some of the shows that I've had, and they will say themselves or their wives will say, your work has never looked this good. good." And it's great to see their expression And it's great for me because I know I'm good. I know I'm really good. And when people see that, they understand how great their work can be or how much better their work can be than the way it's been and being presented. Do do photographers generally send like a, like a reference like hey this is how because like some people like saturated work some people like desaturated look some people like really dark black some people don't is it do you do you want to see what they what the, where their minds at like a reference point of what they retouch or do you just want the raw and then you kind of do your thing or how to no I want both I always want to work from the raw file yep. because it enables me to adjust versus correct. Yeah. And I feel there's a big difference between adjusting and refining and correcting. So when somebody sends me a tiff that they've totally worked on, a lot of times I have to correct for the print because yeah. the screen and the print have truly no relationship to each other in the final piece, in the final go around. Yep. You have an illuminated thing, you have a reflective thing, you have screens now that are contrasty saturated just unreal and a printer can never reproduce that yeah so it's understanding but i always say to a photographer send me a file if you've worked on it to give me an idea 
and then we work together Got it. to find the best representation of that on paper. Sometimes I can be opinionated <laughs> and feel very strongly about something being somewhat different from what they thought. Yeah. But once they see it, yeah. they generally go, wow, yeah. okay, I see what you're talking about and understand that. So we move forward. And again, it's the collaboration and it's the teaching, mm -hmm. that education for me to them and them to me. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. And, you know, one thing I was kind of interested in because, like, you, you have an interesting position in that you've worked with so many different photographers and artists. And the thing I'm curious about is, like, working with all these people that have been successful, like, is there, like, any common thread within these people that you've worked with? Obviously, they make good work, but is there anything else in your interactions with working, working with these type of people, like, how they handle themselves, their personalities that you've taken away from, like, because it is interesting. Like, as a photographer myself, I don't really, like deal with all these different creatives in the way that you do. So it's kind of an interesting perspective. It, everybody's different. It, it's, re, it's truly, I can't say they're like this or they're like that. Yeah. I have been very surprised when I've worked with certain people that, well, I go back to David Burnett. Legend. The show. If you wouldn't know who David Burnett was, you would never know. Yeah. He is so humble, so laid back, just a guy. Yep. The show that is currently up now with uh, the work of Carol Guzzi, Carol's a four-time Pulitzer Prize winner. Mm -hmm. My communications with her have been almost like family communications, and we've never met. There have been other photographers that they, you know, we all have egos. Yeah, yeah, Some yeah. are different <laughs> yeah, yeah. than others. Yeah, it's this different it's energy. Generally, feeling that somebody that has had success quickly, yeah, or in certain ways, and again, it's just their personalities. Yeah. It, it truly, yeah, is. everyone's different. Yeah, um, I guess this is probably a hard question, but like, like you, like I say, you, you print to work for so many different photographers and artists and whatnot. Uh, when you look back at all the stuff you printed, is there like uh, one project that you really enjoyed working on, something you're like really proud of, or like one that you're like, you, maybe when you're printing, you're printing it, you're like, wow, I can't believe I'm printing this or anything like that? Uh, it's always, you know, you're always kind of starstruck, especially when I was first starting out. You know, here I am, 22 years old, working with Joel Meyerowitz and doing his work for 25 years walking into the Brooklyn Museum and seeing all my prints on the wall, going into the Smithsonian, the Museum of American Art in these places and knowing my prints are there. Yeah. So that's always an incredible thing. But to me, I try and make every print that comes out of here, no matter who it's for or what it's of, yeah. to be special. Yeah. And so I enjoy all of that, and it, I can't say this was the highlight, yeah, but because yeah. every, yeah. especially now having the gallery, it becomes a highlight when I look at the work on the wall when people come in from all over, because Cape Cod is a destination for a lot of people, and they walk in and they go, we've never seen a presentation like this. We've never seen prints like this we haven't seen imagery like this yeah. you would never expect to see it on cape cod yeah. so that's again another highlight it was pretty cool getting a call from the avidon studio yeah that's wild i'm looking at it right here right now it's avidon print and there's like notes all over it yeah, yeah. How, how did that kind of all come together well i got a call i don't you know i don't know how or who but or i think richard avedon for anyone listening <laughs> yeah. and at that point it probably was you know from i had done portfolios for gregory heisler yeah i had done work with pete turner and eric miola and jay mazel so i think that word of mouth was coming around and getting out there and so i get a call and because i worked in large format because of the myroids work they had this eight by 10 transparency of Andy Warhol's feet. So they sent it to me. 
made the inner negative, made the first print, sent it off to the studio, sent it off to Avedon. Yeah. It came back, the original print, original proof with this acetate with his handwritten notes to me. Wow. So I still have that yeah. because that's pretty cherished piece that I have. Hell yeah. And so then I made the corrections, sent them the finished product, and was told they were really, really happy. Nice. You know, so... Uh, yeah, it's, it's an amazing story, man. Um, and we're sitting here in your gallery, the gallery upstairs, which... Well, how long have you had in the gallery? Been, whoop. Is that you? Oh, a tornado warning. Tornado warning, warning gotta, here on yo, this, this is our first torno- tornado warning on the podcast. <laughs> it's all right, Bob. We're good here. Trying to turn it off. It's all good. No tornado. We're good. Yeah. Um, yeah, but we're sitting here in your gallery, the gallery upstairs. Um, it's your gallery slash studio where you do your printing. Um, what was kind of the idea behind uh, starting the gallery here? Because I think, what has it been, three years now or so? Yeah, going into the fourth right. summer yep. of it. Well, I always thought it'd be nice to have a gallery, to be able to display work that I was doing, and also as a way to show what I could do. So if this is going in the fourth summer, about four winters ago, a pipe burst in my old film darkroom that is on the second floor in the space that I'm in. And well, it kind of did a number yeah and had to redo ceilings had to open up a wall and at that point I hadn't been doing any wet darkroom processing already for probably five years Mm -hmm. and everything was just kind of like in storage the whole workspace the whole space I've always referred to my lab as my space yeah was kind of like just a junk pile Mm -hmm. because old enlargers and then old technology that had to be replaced. So when this happened, it was like, all righty, let's just purge and let's put the gallery space in because at this point, in the old day with the wet process, I had six enlargers going. Wow. I had this massive 30-inch paper chemical processor sticking out of the wall, and it was still sticking out of the wall. Yeah. So it was like, let's just get rid of everything to condense my production, the workspace, and then have the rest of it turn that into the gallery. So it was one of these unfortunate but fortunate events yeah, that allowed me to do this. Yeah, you've had some really cool shows, like you, David Burnett's show last summer, which I came to, which was amazing. Um, I guess, like, how's the overall experience been, like, running a gallery? Because it's it's a lot of work. It's like you're you're printing new stuff all the time, and then you're doing all your other work for other clients. Like, what's kind of been your overall experience, I guess, doing it? Well, I've learned a real lot. Yeah. Uh, it's not an easy thing to do. But I love doing it. I feel the greatest thing that has happened for me and the best thing that I've learned is I believe it's really it's really refined my vision. Curating shows is not easy. The respect that I have for curators, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And so I've learned a lot from that. You've refined sequencing. It just really refines how you put a show together to create a feeling and atmosphere, how one image affects another and how they relate. And so it's been really exciting. Uh, and how do these shows generally come together? Like, is it this photographer's work you admire and you reach out to them or are people reaching out to you or how do they all kind of come together, I guess? Well, at this point over the years, you know, since I've had the gallery, I've been reaching out to my client base. Mm. My first show my initial show was just work from my archives that I have of people like Joel Meyerowitz and on and on you know I can't remember all the names everybody's in it but I had that then I would reach out to people had a beautiful show of Mark Hauser's portraits to me that was probably my first real big to me, special show. That was when Mark was still alive. Yeah, he just passed away like a year ago. Yeah, yeah, just this past December. And that was huge for me. Yeah. It was my first reel because 
I don't know who's listening to your you know, podcast. Everybody, Bob, Bob everybody. everybody. <laughs> and so they should know who Mark Hauser is. Yeah, I'll link it and people and, check it out if they don't. Uh, you know, so something like that. Then I reached out to a dear friend, Carrie Walensky. Carrie actually was in the archive show about doing a geographic show. And I said, Carrie, let's do a show. What do you think of the idea of sharing it with somebody? He goes, that's great. Right away, he thought of Bob Caputo. So we had a National Geographic show. Wow. And with Bob and Carrie's work. Then one of the shows was, I referred to it as The View. It was 8 by 10 view camera imageries from Jim Dow. Wow and Virginia Bean. So it's things like that. I did a really fun show that people had a hard time looking at it on some levels. It was a show called Horrible Monsters. Okay. It was imagery by my good friend and great photographer, Rick Ashley, and also dear friend, Neil Rantoul. Rick lives in Marblehead, amazing photographer, amazing sense of humor, He's been documenting and photographing the Horribles Parade in Marblehead, which is a 4th of July parade. And these parents dress their kids up, sweltering July 4th heat, and parade them around. Uh, you know, there's a parade through town. What do they dress them up as? It's Just like, like almost like Halloween. Oh, okay. Again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he's photographed that. Yep. And to see these poor kids just sweating sweating and you can <laughs> tell how miserable they are so you have them and then neil rantoul did a project called monsters yep. photographing these mannequins and masks that he found in a halloween store so to me this idea of horrible monsters the horrible parade these poor kids did the parents turn them into monsters because they were so miserable are the parents the monsters for doing this <laughs> combined with Neil's masks and things, it was great. Yeah. But people would walk in, they'd open the door, and they'd go, I'm terrified of clowns. I'm sorry, I got to go. Yeah. Or they'd come in. And hey, that's would, what you want. You want, you want, you want something like an emotion or something. This yeah. is a reaction. Because um, the cool thing about your gallery is, like, you seem like you really try to mix it up with all different types of work. Like, right now, it's a, it's a photojournalist. Uh, what was her name again? It's, it's a, Carol Guzzi. Yeah, Carol Guzzi with a bunch of, like, I think it's just, like, work from the border. Um, and then you've done more like conceptual shows. Is that this kind of, you like kind of mixing it up pretty much? Yeah. And what I want to do is I, the goal always has been with the gallery is it to be a destination, a destination gallery Mm -hmm. where people can come see work that they would truly only see in a museum or in one of the galleries in the big cities. Yeah. But So that's always been the intent and also to show people what, in my mind, what photography is and can be. And then also it's a way to highlight, again, what I do for the print. And yes, it's a variety. There are many places on Cape Cod where you can go and see the lighthouse in the fog, (laughs) the boat in the fog, the yellow dory at Payne's Creek, you yeah. know, and Brewster. So there, there is that. Yep. But there's not a place where you can come in and see the work of Carol Guzzi, David Burnett, Mark Hauser, yeah. a it's, Richard Avedon piece. It's, it's, it's amazing, man. And you do some cool stuff here. I think you do, you do another thing called Salon Night where people, can, as photographers, can come and pretty much you guys kind of critique each other's work pretty much. Yeah, it's, a, again, another opportunity that's very different than the camera club circuit yeah yeah. you know there are a lot of camera clubs it's a whole different idea where you can come exchange ideas talk freely critique work but critique work in a way that everybody learns from yeah yourself the persons who work it is and just to expand and see work that definitely warrants to be hung up you know, in my gallery. I think it's smart. It's just like community. Like this, in my experience, like, I mean, I've been doing this like 10 years now. It's like, if you want to be a photographer, you want to be creative, like you got to be a part of the community. If you're not, you're just like, it ain't going to work. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it's a big part of it in my mind. I don't and, know if you'd agree. But. Oh, I totally agree. And one thing that I found in a lot of art 
communities. And a lot of times in photography, photographers are afraid to share. Yep. They think they're the only one that knows how to do this. Yeah. And believe me, somebody did it before you. You're <laughs> yeah. not the only one. No. And years ago, somebody said to me, why do you teach what you do? Mm-hmm. And it's a, I want to share it. And I have the confidence that they really can't do it better than I can. But yeah. if they're going to show prints, their prints should be representative of what they do, who they are, but also of what a print can be. I've had people that say, now I don't print my stuff now because everything I see is so horrible. You know, people know what a good print is and what a bad print is. A lot of times they don't really know what a bad print is yep. because it's all they, that's all they've ever seen and they become and they accept something. Yeah. Good enough. Well, yeah, now it's not good enough. Yeah, for sure. And I guess to kind of start wrapping up, like you've been working in the creative uh, business for a long time. Like what, what do you think's kind of kept you going? Because as you know, it's like a, it's a hard endeavor. There's a lot of ups and downs. But like at the end of the day, what do you enjoy about it? What kind of keeps you going doing this, I guess? Well, I tell people I've never worked a day in my life. Uh, I truly love getting up every day and coming to work. Yep. When I have a day off, you can ask my wife. It's like I just can't sit and relax, you know, lately because I'm so excited, especially now of, with the gallery of the new work that I'm able to do, that people are reaching out for me. And also... Throughout my whole life, it's never been about a quantity. It's been about quality. Yeah. And I feel I have more than anybody that's making seven figures, Mm. ten figures. Whatever. And so that's really what has driven me and kept me going. Yeah. It's been hard. Yeah. I sell bicycles now a couple days a week because it got to the point, well... You're going to go slice deli meats, yeah, yeah. you know, because yeah. you need to find a way to help yeah. get through these, those Slow really patches. lean times. And just keep the train moving. And do something. I was very fortunate. I love cycling yeah. and found a great place to work. Yeah. So, and now, because things have turned around and yeah. people are starting to understand the need for what I do again, yeah. you know, it's like, well... I actually asked for a couple days off you know, you just go. to get caught up. Yeah. Well, Bob, I can't thank you enough, man. Like I said, you've been a good friend to me for a long time. I've learned a lot from you. And for people listening, if they want to check out more of your work or like some of the services you offer, like where's the best place to check you out? Well, uh, online, my website, bobcornimaging.com. And as I tell everybody, it's corn with a K. Yep. On the website, you'll be, you know, that basically the about the services yeah as i told you earlier i'm a little bit of an older guy i talk and (laughs) i know you can tell that from uh, this podcast yeah so always call me yeah send me an email for the initial contact but please call me. Yeah, I'd much like, rather talk to explain yeah, something yeah. than trying to type it. And you can live wherever. You don't even have to live locally to get prints made by Bob. You can you can just send him your files and you talk over the phone. Easy guy to talk to. So definitely I'll, I'll link it and people can go check it out. And if they're in uh, Orleans on the Cape, uh, what's the address for the gallery? It's 46 Main Street. We always tell people I'm right above the Orleans Whole Foods store. Yep. So you can come take a look. And if I can if this podcast is out in time i'll be in new york city at the b&h store in their event center next wednesday on wednesday july 31st doing a talk and presentation again about the print they've entitled it a a photograph isn't a photograph until it's a print so if you're there it's from four to six and then yeah wednesday july 31st yeah Four to six at B&H store in uh, New York. Um, Well, Bob, can't thank thank you enough, man. Thank you, Alex. This has been great fun. Appreciate it. Perfect. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I actually wanted to tell you about a new image transfer tool I've been using lately called PicDrop. 
pick drops a really great tool for whenever you need to send off your files to your clients or whoever you're working with you can create private galleries uh, different folders for whatever various assignments you're working on and your clients can actually write notes on the photos you sent to them and rate them it's just a really easy way to organize your stuff in one spot um, I've been using it for a while uh, for years I was using like Dropbox and WeTransfer and things like that both pick drop it was actually designed by photographers so they really understand what photographers need and I can't say enough about it and with today's episode if you enter the promo code photobanter when you sign up at pickdrop.com you're going to get three months free of the pick drop image transfer tool um, so definitely go check it out let me, let me know what you guys think and remember enter the promo code photobanter and you'll get three months free of the pick drop image transfer image transfer tool when you sign up at pickdrop.com um, and also let's have to give a big thank you to our guest bob corn um, a lot of respect for his work uh, been a friend for a long time um, amazing printer a uh, great gallery he has down on cape cod in orleans massachusetts um, definitely go check out bob's work at bobcornimaging.com um, if you ever need some prints made or just anything scanning printing uh, as well as his gallery uh, if you're in the cape cod area definitely go check that out it's right on main street in orleans um, can't say enough about him uh, really amazing printer and as always i'll be having uh, podcasts every monday on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, as well as my website, alexgagnephoto.com, and on my Instagram, at alexgagnephoto. Thanks so much for listening, and take care.